Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. Hey, podcast world. Welcome to another incredible edition of FNO InsureTech. That's right. That's our intrepid co-host. Wow. Twice in one podcast. (laughs) Well, they don't know that yet. (laughs) Oh, my bad. (laughs) You spoiled it, Lee. I did. Lee just told you the the punchline. I told you the end of the story. But we're not going to tell you anymore because we're just going to leave it at that right now. But we've got to introduce you. So I'm Lee. Hi. You, you are. And that and that's Rob. That's Hi, Lee, Rob. the smart one. I'm mm-hmm. Rob, the cute one. Mm-hmm. Welcome right. to another edition, another episode of the ongoing, uh, um, whatever you want to call this thing. What is this thing we're doing anyways? FNO InsureTech podcast. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But you know, we've been doing this thing for a long time, right? Two and a half years, my friend. Long time. And we've got Mm -hmm. to run out of subject at some point. At some time, we've talked about everything. No. No? No, no, no. And and you want to know why I say that? Why? Why? Because of our very episode today. You would think, you would think, you know what? It's, this world is finite. We, mm-hmm. we put out about 50, 55 episodes a year. Mm-hmm. 52. You would think that you're, there's the, at some point you reach the end, but our episode today proves that's not the case. Yeah. The episode today proves that InsureTech is huge and the ecosystem is huge. And today we get to talk with KWH Analytics and it is just a wonderful podcast. And because insurance in the in the end touches almost every industry, it does touch every industry. Right. It touches almost every individual in the de- certainly in the developed world because it's because insurance is so vast and technology is so ubiquitous and pervasive that when you combine those two into something crazy called insuretech, you're going to touch wild things that you could have never imagined before. And that's the case here today with KWH Analytics. Here's a company that's involved in the renewable energy space, Mm -hmm. providing insurance solutions inside of that space. You'll find this episode to be remarkable, touching on things you might have never imagined would fall under the InsureTech umbrella. Yeah, and Rob and I really took advantage of this podcast. We asked all sorts of questions about solar energy. What is it? What's going on? Where has it been? Where is it going? Uh, it's a really informative podcast today, uh, and it's it's a fascinating look at this this segment of the insure tech ecosystem that we hadn't really thought about. And our guest, Richard Matsui, super bright well-spoken man who lives in Hawaii who who founded this company and this is when when you talk about when brilliance meets opportunity something like this can occur and so we we're excited about today we're excited about every podcast that we do but this one this one in particular so we hope 
you'll enjoy it and that you'll listen. So without further ado, here's our interview with Richard Matsui, CEO and founder of KWH Analytics. Hi, everybody. We are here with a really special guest. Not the first time we've had a guest from Hawaii, That's true. right, Lee? That's true. Um, in fact, this might be like the third time, whatever it is. Yeah, third. But uh, tip of the cap to Drew Garf, who might still be out there, we don't know. But today we have Richard Matsui, the CEO and founder of a very interesting company, KWH Analytics, joining us from... Where, Richard? I'm joining from Honolulu, Hawaii. There you go. Honolulu. Wonderful. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing very well. First time caller, but long time <laughs> listener. So what, what's the weather like today in uh, Honolulu? You know, I, I don't even want to mention it. There's definitely some people with 100 degree plus <laughs> days yeah. right now. Uh, but you can look it up. The, the temperature varies about three degrees on a given day. Wow. Really? You mean from high to low? Yeah. <laughs> You got it. I just saw that <laughs> temperature today. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Are you anywhere near the beach? That's what we want to know. It's uh, it, it is very beautiful blue out there. Oh man. Okay. Well, we are not here to talk about why we envy you. We're here to talk about the company that you founded and and what you're doing there. So, so let's start by giving us a minute on uh, what is KWH Analytics. Absolutely. We, we are. KWH Analytics, we are building the insurer for the energy transition. Uh, my entire career has been in the renewable energy space. I got started helping to found McKinsey Solar Practice back in 2007. And in that process, what we have learned is that, um, <laughs> I think one is that the origin story for the company itself was we met a gentleman named Van Skilling, who is uh, now one of our board members, but Van Skilling is the former chairman and CEO of Experian the big consumer credit company. So in the one of my first conversations with Van, he, he wisely told me that, look, every asset class, at least in the United States, has some third-party data company that collects data on how that asset class actually performs in the field. And before I started KWH, solar did not have that equivalent kind of company. And so my experience with the solar industry combined with Van's advice really helped to, to create this, this company. So what we've built out is this uh, industry data repository, where we're collecting data from 30% of the solar power plants in the U.S. now feed us that performance data. And what we've done is we've built uh, uh, really an insure tech company on top of that, that data set. The insure tech company that does what? We insure renewable energy assets, so solar and, and wind farms. And so there's two products that, that we have. The first is uh, what we call the revenue put, where we're guaranteeing the revenue streams from these, these renewable energy assets, excluding uh, physical damage risk. And the second product that we've launched is, uh, as you would guess, taking on that property risk. So it's a property insurance product. You are insuring these farms saying that you're going to make X in revenue. And if not, you pay out a claim? That's exactly right. It's a very parametric product. Wow. I had no idea that even existed. So you mean <laughs> if you have too many cloudy days, you pay a claim? That, that's exactly right. So if the, the sun's not shining at the level you thought it was going to in your forecast, if your hardware degraded at a quicker rate than you thought, if the uh, just things tripped offline or the construction company did a bad job, as you can imagine, for these these uh, facilities, you know, they are power plants. You know, there are things that can go wrong either from the weather-related side or from the system quality side. And what we built out was a, an all-risk product 
that's able to take on both, house them with some really great partners. So we've partnered up with Swiss Re Corporate Solutions uh, to deliver this uh, that first product. And so it's now been delivered on more than $3 billion worth of solar power plants here in the United States. This is so interesting. And Lee and I love when we have on a guest who brings a whole new thing to talk about. And that's you. <laughs> I don't know if I say congratulations or awesome. I'm sorry. But let's talk for a second about solar today, 2021. Kind of level set for us on what is the solar industry today and what's the piece that you play in this solar ecosystem that's out there? I mean, as people who are completely outside the industry, I think of solar as occasionally we see a solar farm on the side of the road. We see it on people's houses, stuff like that. Help us understand solar 2021. Definitely. And the first thing to know about solar and renewable energy in 2021 is that renewable energy is now cost competitive or cheaper than fossil fuel in 26 of 50 states, and it's cheaper than most of the traditional incumbents for most parts of the world. The, the way you can really know this is that, and I just heard this stat this morning, but the, uh, if you look at the first quarter of this year in the United States, uh, 100% of the new power capacity added online was renewable energy. Wow. There was not a single new coal plant, not a single new gas plant added um, in this country. And it's because of the fact that two things are, have happened. First, of course, is the, the economics I described, which is renewables are competitive. So that's the first. And, th and the second is, I mean, the, the world's on fire right. <laughs> right now. I mean, last week, I believe it was a, actually I was catching up with a friend in Seattle who said that uh, it was 110 degrees and that the toothpaste cap uh, melted off of his toothpaste. Oh my <laughs> he tried to, to use it. It's hard to uh, understate how large of a crisis that we're in. And thankfully, we're seeing you know, societal responses to that, both at the global level, where we have things like the Paris Agreement, which is calling for the world's uh, you know, largest emitters of carbon to really regulate that in such a way that we can come in at a temperature below two degrees Celsius in terms of that temperature increase. But even down to like the very you know, specific company level things, I mean, you see that I feel like every other week there's a company announcing a new, you know, 100% carbon, you know, carbon-free kind of target. Right. Certainly the insurers, I just today I saw that uh, eight insurers, you know, of course, predominantly from Europe, announced like a net zero insurer alliance. You know, and so, you know, there's a, a number of different ways that both at the country level, but at more of the firm by firm level, you know, the world is responding. So what you're saying is, is that there's a tremendous amount of growth of facilities that are producing this power. That's exactly right. And if I were to go a step further, I would say that uh, I'll go on the record saying that there will not be a new coal plant built in this country, uh, full stop. Right? That technology, in addition to being incredibly pollutant, is, is uh, just fundamentally uncompetitive with the new resources coming online, particularly solar and wind energy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is that real? I mean, I guess outside of Waco, uh, maybe five, six, seven years ago, they built this giant coal plant. And it's huge. And of course, you can see all the smoke coming out of it. But I mean, is that realistic that there won't be another one built in, in America? Uh, I'll put I'll put I'll put my dollars to donuts on it. Wow. <laughs> there's a you look at the economics of, of these plants. Um, there, there's a very good reason why it, first it went from coal to, to natural gas being like the, the primary source of new power generation in this country. Yeah. But you can already very quickly see that it's shifting from natural gas to solar and wind. So what's changed with solar that's made it cost competitive or advantageous over those fossil fuel-based power plants? Short answer would be everything. So when I started in solar in 2007, a solar panel cost uh, $5 a watt. So 
the, the fast forward to today's world, when I, if I'm going out looking to buy a solar panel, it's probably costing me 20 to 25 cents. Oh so as with most things, right, but particularly in the world of, of energy, I mean, what other variables have fallen in cost by 90% plus <laughs> uh, in a 10-year span? And so this is what I think gets lost in a lot of the headlines. I think that when, when we as Americans think about energy, we oftentimes think about, uh, yes, you think about like the, the big oil fields out there. When you think about solar, you think about Solyndra, <laughs> unfortunately, which is like the, the last time that the, the word solar entered into national consciousness is when something didn't go so well. Yeah on the manufacturing side. Yeah. But when you look at it, it's like the reason why Solyndra didn't do well was that the, the cost of the competitors, all the other manufacturers of those solar panels were doing such a good job of driving down that, that cost point to a level for which now solar and wind have become like the cheapest sources of energy you know, for anyone who's looking to build a new facility. And so when I take a step back, what that means is that um, it's great that insurers have data on 100 years of coal plant performance or gas gas fire plant performance. I mean, that's wonderful. But when you look at the next 100 years, it's very obvious that it's going to look very different than what the last 100 years look like. So so we'll just see more and more and more and more solar. That's where the capacity is going to come from. Exactly. Solar and wind. Are you guys insuring wind also? Uh, that's right. So we're starting to insure wind with the second product we've launched. Maybe a third thing I should mention is that um, especially coming from the, the, the terrible experience that you've experienced out in Texas with the winter freeze oh, yeah. and what we're experiencing in California with the wildfires. I mean, the, the third, not a power generation category, but nonetheless needs to be mentioned is, you know, the advent of energy storage. Yeah, I was And so what we're that. seeing is a tremendous number of, of these power plants, but just massive batteries that are getting installed onto the grid. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you about that. I read Bill Gates' books, How, uh, how to Avoid a Climate Disaster, and he talked about how storing up the energy from solar and wind is so difficult right now because the batteries have to be so huge uh, because the solar only produces when the sun is out and the wind only produces you know when it's windy out there. Uh, is that something that is that people are really focusing on? Uh, I know Elon Musk has these giant battery facilities around, but doesn't that have to happen to make solar and wind be so big? I think in the long term, the answer is yes. I think it's also important to, to notice that at least right now, at this very moment, uh, solar and wind account for less than 5% of the U.S. energy mix overall. Wow. And so, you know, when it's, you know, such a small percentage, it's, it doesn't really move the needle. There's enough other types of energy that can turn on and off and respond to the intermittency of solar and wind. But I think to your point, over the longer term, it's, there's no doubt that energy storage needs to come into play in order to really balance out you know, the, the grid dynamics. Uh, to Bill Gates's book, which it, it's, it's great that you've, you've read that. I actually, I'm almost just starting on that. <laughs> You're beating me there. But there's, uh, you know, one thing I think that many commentators on this industry miss is that, so when I started in solar in, in 07, um, uh, I had the unenviable task of building out McKinsey's solar model, you know, forecasting what would solar cost in 2020. Wow. So I've already told you what the, what the answer is in terms of here's how much a solar panel costs in actuality. And our model 10 something years ago said it was going to cost uh, $2 a watt, right? And see, so add some margin wow. to that, it was gonna be, you know, price is going to be two something. And so uh, without exaggeration, uh, this industry, and we were considered quite aggressive in our forecast at that time. So, you know, I think that what we've seen is that the scale up of these industries can be an order of magnitude more competitive than one might think, even with the, the benefit, of course, like the, the resources that a large consulting firm might have. 
And so I think what we're seeing in the lithium-ion battery space is uh, driven not by grid-level storage, but really the fact that electric vehicles is taking off in such a tremendous way that that cost curve that that everyone thought was going to take a little bit longer to, to realize, mm -hmm. you know, we're seeing 20 to 30% cost reductions happening you know, on a year-on-year -year basis in the battery storage space. Is that going to continue both for that and solar panels, That the decreasing cost? That's the big question I think we all have. I think that historically that the solar industry at least has seen a 15% learning rate, uh, meaning that for every doubling of capacity of solar power plants, the cost of that capacity falls by 15%. And so instead of calling it, you know, Moore's law, like what mm -hmm. we have in semiconductors, right. in our industry, we call it Swanson's law. And I believe there's a very similar dynamic at play at lithium ion batteries as well. So what's a put? So the put is the, the name of the product that we, uh, of our first product, mm -hmm. but it also refers to more of that financial concept, you know, a put option and a call option, mm -hmm. where the put option is really uh, assurance that if something falls below a certain level, that you will be made whole. And so from our customer standpoint, who are buying these puts, they now know that if their revenue level falls below a certain threshold, hey, look, there's going to be an insurance company that's rated investment grade and be able to step in there and, and make you whole which as investors in this renewable energy revolution, uh, it's quite valuable to have that level of certainty about cash flows of, of plants, which are, you know, as described a little bit earlier, can be a little bit intermittent. Well, it can make the whole investment make sense or not, right? Absolutely. And I think that uh, what any investor is looking for is to get the most return for the, the least amount of risk. And what we've been able to demonstrate with this, this first product, that solar revenue put, is that we're able to cost-effectively reduce the risk in a level that's significant enough that's actually worth the, the insurance premium the client is paying for it. So now the hard question. How the heck do you do that? <laughs> thanks, thanks a lot. It's taken us a, a bit of time to, to get to this point. You know, as mentioned, we started back uh, almost a decade ago now. But we, we were built on this foundation, this premise, that this industry will require a data repository in the same way that Experian collects data on us as consumers, in the same way that CoreLogic collects data on mortgages, right? Every asset class has this. Someone's going to need to, to fill this gap. And so as we've grown this, this data repository, we now collect data from you know, 300,000 plus of these individual solar power plants. And we're able to, to use that data to underwrite these insurance policies. So as an example, if uh, you came to me with you know the solar farm down the street from you, mm -hmm. and you told me it's using panel manufacturer X, inverter manufacturer Y, it's built by construction company Z, here's the location of it. With all that information, we can effectively draw the actuarial tables on how is panel manufacturer X performed historically speaking, you know, in this type of climate. And using that kind of that insight that we can then use to, to of course draw out the, the risk model and the the pricing that would be appropriate for that kind of risk. And so it's, it's, uh, it's really goes back to insurance basics 101. And this is nothing that uh, any incumbent insurer isn't already doing for its main lines of business. Mm -hmm. But right. for a relatively new technology like this, um, someone needs to do that dirty work of actually building out the data infrastructure such that that kind of analysis can be conducted. Yeah, because it's, I mean, what you're creating is you're creating the underwriting platform for this kind of insurance. Precisely. And I think the, the strategic decision that was an interesting one was the decision about whether or not we should become a, a, a pure play data provider. Right. You know, think about it like an RMS or core right. logic, or should we internalize that expertise and, you know, become an MGA? Right. And we ultimately decided to take that latter path. Well, one of the smartest guys I know in the insurance industry, and I'll say his name, Dan Moore, said to me a long time ago, the person that owns the data wins. 
And so you must have thought of it that way. That's a very core part of the thesis. And probably worth mentioning that our loss ratios in this space have been sub 20%. That was my next question. Tell us about that. How in the (laughs) world, because that would be my concern if I'm investing in your company is how do you really know what's going to happen? Like we were talking before we started today, you know, what if it's cloudy too much? Right. How How do you know? And so maybe I'll answer that philosophically and then, then practically. I mean, philosophically, I think the, the direct answer is we don't know, right? None of us know the future. You know, this is, a, of course, like the central value proposition of insurance. Um, but it's also true that we have uh, this data in the same way that an auto insurer will have data, you know, being at the show that, look, if someone's under 18, chances are they're going to be a higher risk, right? They don't know which, you know, 17-year-old is going to be one that causes the accident. But there is a way by which you can mathematically show that this person is going to be high risk. Therefore, the price needs to be adjusted accordingly. And so what we've seen for, for ourselves is the, the ability to use this data to show that you know, there are certain types of solar power plants that will perform you know, better or worse than others and being able to, to create the pricing model necessary to be able to ensure this space effectively. Um, I would say that there's a perhaps like a, a belief from a number of insurers that have touched renewable energy insurance in the past is that you know, there's a belief that renewables can't be insured uh, profitably. Um, our contention is that none of them have the data that you would really want in order to get the job done. You know, I, I was just reading another book. I won't, I won't go into it, but they were talking about how they wanted to have an outdoor event. And the person who was having the event said, what if it rains? And they said, well, we went back 100 years on this date at this location, and we looked to see what what the weather was and it, and it only rained twice in two years. Is that basically what, what you're doing, taking all of this, modeling it out and, and saying that we predict X, you know, we, we predicted not to happen. Yeah. And that's uh, maybe I'll, I'll, maybe I'll set a quick framework here is that we have those two products that the sole revenue put and in the course of this property insurance product uh, on the, on the put side of things, that's exactly right. We think uh, what you were really looking at at the end of the day is there's, we're guaranteeing the electrons generated from a solar farm. And that's a, really there's two constituent subparts for that. The first would be weather and the system, the second would be system quality. And so on the weather part, that's exactly right. It's the exact same approach that we've taken to it that, you know, unsurprisingly that the, the U S government uh, collects a pretty voluminous um, record mm-hmm. with regards to sunshine levels across this country over a multi-decade period. And so really we're using that, that data. We're not necessarily applying a particularly proprietary view on that, this is just how irradiance has, has uh, occurred across this country in the past. So that's what informs that first part of the model. But then the second part of the model, which is the system quality component, um, that's the area that we think is, is quite novel because, because we have this data of in the field, how has this, this, this asset operated given this kind of equipment? You know, using that data to underwrite these insurance policies is what's enabling us to deliver the alpha, so to speak. You know, I'm just sitting here thinking, I think people who invest a lot of money in solar, they're not just throwing these things up, you know, anywhere. They've already put a lot of thought into it anyways. And so you're coming in and with, with the additional reassurance that, yes, we we have also backed this. We'll, we'll, we will write this policy. Is that, I mean, am I right in my thinking that people don't just throw these things up all over the place? No, that, that's exactly right. There's... Uh, pension funds, insurance companies on their investment arms. And there's a, a number of very sophisticated financial institutions that are making these investments. And of course, doing the diligence appropriately. But what we're bringing to the table is this uh, certainty, you know, from very large balance sheets that 
you know, if you're the, the pension fund and you're, you're really counting on there being a certain dollar amount of return generated from your asset this year, and of course, having that, that certainty from the insurance community will help you to get there. So you said you're currently receiving data from 300,000 solar farms. Is that what you said? That's right. 200,000 of these solar power plants all here in the U.S. All in the United States alone? That's right. And so, I mean, to, to be fair, there's a solar power plant can scale really differently. So well, on one hand, uh, you know, out in Texas, you can imagine having the acres and acres of land with millions of solar panels spread across mm-hmm. them. Uh, but it's also true that, you know, that your local Walmart probably has solar on it now. Mm-hmm. And so they may have a thousand panels, mm-hmm. you know, sitting on, on their roof. Mm-hmm. And so that's also a solar power plant. Oh, I see. Okay. So how many solar power plants are there in the world? Do you know? That's a great question. I, I don't know that one offhand. What about my neighbors who just put solar panels on their house? Would they be a solar plant or would it go with that entire company who did that? Yeah, so that would be a solar power plant. Okay. And it would be, I mean, this is the, the beauty of solar, right? That if you uh, shrink together a couple of these solar solar panels, like you've got yourself a plant, like you can power devices, you can power your home, you can start powering community. It, it's the modularity of the technology is really what enabled this space to scale so quickly. It's like uh, it's the difference between selling, you know, a, a single product that costs, you know, two hundred dollars to make. And if you didn't do it right the first time, you can obviously go get a second crack at it, as opposed to other uh, power right. plants such as nuclear power plants, where obviously if you, if you don't get it right the first time, you know, it costs five billion dollars and you don't really get a second crack at that. So is solar a good investment right now. If I'm a homeowner, many, many years ago, 15 years, 10 years ago, I was looking at solar and it just seems so expensive to put up. I, I want to do good for the world. I want to reduce my carbon footprint. I want to do good. But for a homeowner themselves, is, is it a good investment yet? Yeah. And the reason I would say so, of course, that everyone's made different. But for most parts of the country, the payback period is going to be under 10 years now if you want to own it yourself. And if you didn't want to own it yourself, there's a number of lease and loan companies that are willing to finance it for you in such a way that they can assure you that even on day one, no cash out of your pocket, that you'll be saving money on your electricity bill relative to what you'd be paying otherwise. What's the smallest plant that you guys will insure? The smallest that we will insure is still very much in like the what one might consider more of a traditional power plant sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not doing this on, on a B2C kind of basis. Mm-hmm. Do you see that in the future? You know, I, I think so. There is just a, this incredible explosion of, of these solar power facilities getting built everywhere. Certainly from a, a go-to-market standpoint, being able to interact with a pension fund or a private equity infrastructure fund and being able to, in one transaction, be able to insure 5,000 of their rooftop facilities or, you know, here's the $300 million they've invested into that solar farm down, down the road from Leeds. You know, like that's the, the area of, uh, at least from a go-to-market standpoint, we found to be the easiest to go. But there's clearly a much broader market out there. Let's go back to 2012 or probably 2007, 8, 9, 10, 11. You're working along, you're at McKenzie, and you're working on solar. How did the light bulb go off? Tell us the origin story of KWH. Let me take you back in time for a moment. So back in 2007... The, the, uh, because solar panels are so expensive, bringing the cost of solar panel down was the only question that this industry needed to focus on. Because you could be the best salesperson in the world, you can be the best, best construction company in the world, best finance person in the world. At the end of the day, fundamentally, you're selling an uncompetitive technology. So there's only so much that you can, can do to scale your business. And so, at least at the time, you know, working in Asia, 
you know, we, we had an opportunity to see the, you know, the world's conglomerates uh, recognize that, look, there's a secular growth trend happening here in renewable energy. You know, the question was, how did they want to engage in it? You know, did they want to be manufacturing you know, technology X within solar or technology Y within solar? Did they want to be deploying those energy assets in the U.S. or in Germany? You know, very much some, some 101, what is my strategy kind of questions that any large conglomerate might have before entering a new industry. So in that process, I had a chance to see that, in fact, uh, two things were true. One is that there's a lot to be learned. Uh, no, no one company then or now has the answer on how this industry really is going to evolve on a longer term basis. And the second is recognizing that there was a tremendous problem of uh, lack of information about quality about these energy assets in the automobile space as an example. Like obviously we have, we all have anecdotal experience with them. We all have friends and family that use different car manufacturers that then we have. There's Kelly Blue Book. There's all these tools and, and resources now by which we can have a pretty good understanding of how to think about the quality of one thing versus another. Um, in solar, especially back in 2007, like none of that existed. Uh, furthermore, it's, a, it's even more challenging because a car you perhaps you'll go replace that in five or 10 years. You know, a solar panel is designed to sit in the field, you know, under wind, rain, hailstorms, all of that for 25 years. And so, you know, that, that purchasing decision is, is a really important one, but one that was not being driven by a whole lot of data, especially at that point. Mm-hmm. And so that, that became like the, the core insight that you combine that with uh, Ben's insight that, look, every industry is able to solve this problem with a very particular type of business model. And that's what enabled the creation of this company. So are you venture-backed? Uh, so we are backed by the uh, the good folks at Anthemis, who I think have been responsible for backing a number of your guests previously. And when you went out to market and you said, hey, this is what we're going to do, did they say, you're crazy? What kind of reception did you get from the venture community? You really nailed that. <laughs> so when we were going out five years ago, describing this vision that there will be a, a tremendous need for insurance in this new type of energy asset. Uh, we were laughed out of the room for, in a number of these contexts. You know, as described, it's like, well, it, the last thing that people really heard about solar was the Solyndra thing. Sounds like a failure. It sounds like it's not really a, it's not ready for prime time. Might be the charitable way of putting it. But I think in the last 12 months that we've seen a tremendous shift um, out there, both because of the, the, the global level, you know, the geopolitics angle of this. But really, the fact that it's become so much more clear to even, you know, you and I as consumers, like you, you look outside, you're more likely to see that solar farm, you know, outside or the solar facility on your Kohl's or your Walmart. And so I think there's a growing awareness that it's not a politically driven um, industry. It's just really an industry driven by the dollars and cents mm-hmm. of the economics of the technology itself. And so that's what's, what's driven a lot of the uh, change perception. Hats off to Anthemus for back in his vision back when it was still an unpopular space. Sure. And there's also such a communal good aspect of it, right? I mean, no one's going to argue that taking advantage of, of the sun is a bad or questionable thing as opposed to fossil fuel generated power. That's, that's right. You know, after, after the, the Texas winter event, I can't tell you how many people who were very upset and said, just give me back all of the coal. I only want coal. No more of this sun, no more of this wind. It didn't help us during the, the winter freeze. And so people are still very anti some of this sometimes. But I'm so happy to hear that the money world is now backing this because it's what has to happen. And I think it's companies like yours who are really allowing it to explode. 
you're out there saying, hey, we, we've done the studies. We've, we've got the data. We're going to back this. Uh, we'll, we'll do the put on it. I mean, you're really, really helping uh, the entire world of solar. So thank you for that. Thank you. Uh, no, absolutely. And, and thank you all for giving us a platform to talk about. It. I mean, I think that exactly as, as you described, like there's this uh, in the energy industry is what's termed the energy transition. So there's this once in a, even more than generations, like yes. once in an era right. shift yeah. wherein we've gone from coal to natural gas, but very quickly over to this uh, renewable energy in really in this, a very short span of time. And then Bloomberg forecasts that there'll be a hundred trillion dollars of new CapEx required between now and 2050 in order to make that happen. And so there's this massive dollar inflow into this, this space that's uh, become quite inevitable, both right. because of politics as well as like the economics. But really, at least what we've seen is some difficulty from the insurance industry to, to keep up. We are, we as insurance industry uh, professionals now in the renewable energy space, uh, we see ourselves as to some extent being rate limiting on this energy transition. Uh, unsurprisingly, no one's going to want to finance a solar farm down the street from you if, if there's not a player that's willing to step up and provide even basic insurance coverages for that that sector. And so, you know, the belief here is that we can use this data, enable the insurance capacity to be deployed intelligently into the space and of course, you know, facilitate growth overall. You know, I was just sitting here thinking we were talking about Bill Gates' book, or I was, and uh, and I, I loved your answer on that. You know, I'm as I said, I'm such a big fan of solar and wind and everything like that. I was just thinking, you know, with with vocal people like Bill Gates, is that helping the solar world or is that hurting? Because a lot of people are saying, you know, because he likes it, I'm not going to like it. Whenever powerful people step up and back solar and say, you need to do this, is that is that good for the industry or bad? To your point, it should seem to be an obvious good. It should be. But it's right. also true that right. there's been a, a tremendous amount of politicization that's occurred in this sure. space. right. I mean, I think to your point in Texas, right? I mean, just looking just at the numbers, like the a number of, of natural gas plants that were offline um, relative to the number of wind farms or solar farms that are offline, even on a percentage basis, there, there are more natural gas facilities offline during the winter freeze than there were the renewable energy assets. Mm. But we, we live in an environment where some of these conversations are quite challenging to have because there, there is a, a broader narrative that these facts need to fit into on both sides of the aisle, yes. right? Not, not saying that there's any one side is guilty of this, but this has become a much harder conversation than it really should be. And, you know, when I think about that question you asked just previously, I mean, this uh, Steve Lekas, I thought, did a great job of saying this on, on, on your other podcast. He's like, there's, there's shockingly little product innovation in our space. Uh, and it's, it's great to know that, that we can buy home insurance online. Like I, I'm a hippo customer. <laughs> Wonderful, right? You know, all of these things that, it's that we're, we, we as an insurance industry are, are doing, it's very positive, but you know, we would contend that this energy problem that we all have and the temperature problems that we all have and the, the, the severe weather events that we're all experiencing, like this is the area that really badly needs innovation. And you know, we, we hope to be a, a prominent part in that, but we also expect many other firms to be jumping into this this opportunity. Well, you guys are creating a, a platform for which these things can even exist, right? I mean, it's 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 yeah. so important. So I have a couple more questions I want to ask you in the few minutes we have left. First of all, how's business? It's been great. We've uh, we just hired up. Uh, we expand our team by twenty five percent in the last six months. Um, there's been a lot of growth, both in the sector and as well as within this very specialized world that we live in of the risk transfer element. And so are you writing a lot of policies? 
Our policies, you know, as mentioned, tend to be for these very large enterprise kind of clients. Mm-hmm. You know, though we've seen very steady, you know, two to four X year on year growth, you know, for the last couple of years. And we expect that to continue. I would think that the people, that the companies that are generating the power commercially would be your customers. But this is more the people that have facilities that are using solar. Is that correct? Uh, so, you know, you, you've got it, actually. So the, the logos you saw, that's the customers on our data side of the business. You know, this is where we're getting our data from. Uh, and then to your point on uh, you know, who the insurance clients are, they, they tend to be a Venn diagram of some overlapping, but in this particular instance, they're not overlapping. Let's look down the road and talk about wh- where's this whole thing going? Do you see a day solar and wind are the dominant energy sources in the world? I do. And I actually absolutely would commit to that. Like I, I believe that the world will be powered by renewable energy and it's going to happen within my lifetime. And so the uh, <laughs> nearly, yeah. nearly full pivot away from fossil fuel industry. I, I think we'll see fossil fuels be used for grid balancing in some case, meaning that when there is intermittency and the batteries aren't there, you're still going to want some level of back capacity. I think that's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that between the cost reduction we've seen on solar and wind, between the cost reduction we've seen in batteries, you know, again, primarily not driven by what's needed on the grid, but really the fact that Tesla and, of course, now the subsequent companies have done such a good job of demonstrating that electric vehicles are a superior product to fossil fuel powered cars, which is therefore putting now thousands and tens of thousands of distributed batteries onto our grid, mm-hmm. you know, through that, <laughs> that infrastructure. Like I think that we're, we're, we are very much in that sea change now. It may not be as obvious to people who are outside of this industry, mm-hmm. um, but I can tell you that in 10 years' time, the energy system will look radically different than it did 10 years ago. Richard, I, I have to tell you that when we were getting ready for this and doing our prep, Lee and I were both like, what is this, yeah. right? What is this thing? <laughs> but... It's I have to tell you, this has been one of the most interesting and mm-hmm. illuminating episodes that we've had, and you've been an amazing guest. It's been a, a real pleasure having you, yeah. and I want you to let our audience know that if they're interested, how they can get in contact with you and how they can get in contact with your company. Well, th- thanks a lot, guys, and I, I've got to commend you for the discipline to not use more energy-related puns like illuminating in this conversation you've, you've really been able uh, to hold yourself back that wasn't even on purpose thanks for pointing it out though <laughs> uh, we're, we're available at, at contact at kwhanalytics.com great Wonderful. and they just have to remember you're on hawaiian time oh, only him <laughs> i think right. uh well listen thank you so much for being with us and we'd love to have you back on in a year or two and hear where this th- whole thing is going. Because like you said, I'm sure when you live inside of it, you're watching the explosion of demand and supply every day. It's much more interesting than, you know, for us who are just kind of, you know, absorbing it a little bit at a time. So uh, thanks for sharing everything with us. And thanks to Stephanie. And, and we'll talk to you again soon. Well, thanks so much for having us. And would very much welcome that opportunity. You know, Lee, sometimes we have people on and we're expecting amazing interview. Sometimes we know the company and we know it's going to be so interesting because because we're so interested in the company. And sometimes you're completely caught by surprise. And today was one of those days. I was caught by surprise. This is solar is something I'm very interested in. And like I told you before the podcast, I 
I, you know, whenever I'm driving down the road, I'll look to the, my right or my left and there's these huge solar farms and I'm thinking, wow, it's so neat. Uh, but today I was just really blown away uh, with Rich. I'm just a, an amazing guy who knows the industry so well mm-hmm. and with a great idea. Mm-hmm. I, I'm so happy this is out there because I think his industry is really allowing uh, more companies to invest with the security that the revenues will be there. Right. And somebody like him, a company like his, is enabling or helping to enable something that really needs to be, and now this is my commentary, mm-hmm. it really needs to be. I mean, we need as much solar as we can. I think that that's indisputable. And so I'm thrilled for a company like his and the things that they're achieving and helping to achieve. Well, and what he said about it only being 5% of the current energy out there. I mean, it's still so small and it's uh, so far to go, but uh, for every percent, every half a percent uh, is just that much more. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we really appreciate companies like his uh, and, and the people investing in the solar. Totally. But a visionary, somebody who had a great idea and made it happen. And uh, we love that. And we thank Rich for being with us and Stephanie for making it happen. And Alicia, our intrepid content producer who had the courage to move forward with this nice work and uh, Al Moya too, who, for whom, if it wasn't for him, you wouldn't even be here in this right now. So Mm -hmm. we have a great team and we're thrilled about that. And our team shines, huh? Huh? It shines brightly. Okay. No singing. So we'll say to you now, as we say at the end, every time, Bye, everybody.